Welcome everybody to another episode of uh, the Sample Hour. This is part three of the Art of Living series with Gino Denning. Um, special thanks to Gene. I had a really good time talking to Gene, and uh, I wish I kind of would have recorded our conversation we had after the podcast. Um, so with this episode, part three of the series, we kind of I, I wanted to talk to Gene about money, and then we just started talking about a bunch of other stuff because it's I don't know I just was enjoying my opportunity to pick Gino Denning's brain. And, um, I don't know, just kind of hear him explain the way he goes through things and the way he thinks things through. It's pretty cool. Um, so special shout out or, you know, just special thanks to, to Gene. Um, thanks for taking the time. Um, you don't have to take the time to do a podcast with me and he did, and I really appreciate it. Um, special thanks to Jan and, uh, um, for setting us up again and, uh, and Mick Guzman again for uh, kind of turning me on to the trivia method. Um, yeah, so this weekend I'm going to be going to the Jackalope Freedom Festival. I had to record another intro because I actually thought I was going to release this last week and then um, I didn't actually get around to it. I've been super busy, guys. You know, I appreciate everyone's patience. Um, I do have some pretty big guests coming on or just things that I'm interested in, so it's big to me. I don't know if it'll be big to you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I went to went and saw Aaron Kleiber this past weekend at the Dayton Funny Bone and he killed it, so... Is awesome, uh, awesome comic. If you guys haven't checked out Aaron, um, like him on Facebook. Um, you can Google search and watch some videos. Like he was live at Gotham. Um, he was on live at Gotham. That was he did a pretty good set there. But you can just go to his website, AaronKleiber.com, and you can order his DVD. That's what I'd recommend. It's it's really funny. I went and saw it live um, when he recorded it. Um, super 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 funny guy. Um, also. Um, yeah, so going to the Jackalope Freedom Festival this weekend, um, you know, you guys are all more than welcome to come, um, it's free camping, it actually was not that expensive to go, so special thanks to Greg Huntermark, um, from the Guru Podcast for, um, contributions to helping me go to the trip, um, love you brother, I appreciate, you know, everything you do for me, um. Pretty soon, I'm going to have him on, and we're going to talk about running with the bulls, because we actually went and ran with the bulls, which was pretty cool. Um, so we'll, we'll tell that story. Um, also, go to Amazon.com. Search for Cody Schlegel and Odyssey Tale. Guest, uh, this is Cody S. at This is Cody S. on Twitter, wrote a book, and he released it, as you guys heard in the Terrible Cast. But bye, it's a pretty good book. I've been reading it. Um Gene also mentions in this podcast uh, the Diamond Age, or I think I keep messing it up. I keep wanting to call it the Age of Diamonds, but it's the Diamond Age. Started reading that book as well. That's an awesome book. So check it out. That's by uh, Neil Stevenson. Um, also, go if you guys want to start studying the trivium. Um, feel free to email Gene. He'll give you um, he'll give you a list of books to read. Um, I, I'd highly recommend it. It's it's helped me a lot. Like I'm I'm definitely. I still have a lot of work to do and working out contradictions in my head, but um, I feel like I'm getting, you know, I feel like I've been making a lot of progress. I don't know. I mean, anybody that's listened to this podcast has probably heard a progression in my probably self-confidence and just overall um, just, I guess, self-awareness. So um, that's pretty much it, guys. Uh, for songs, we're going to open up with, uh, with uh, Daedalus called you've heard and then i think we're gonna we're gonna close out with another daedalus song called fairweather friends 
So if you guys don't like that I play whole songs, let me know. I, I guess I've heard different things. I've heard different people talk about you shouldn't really play a whole song and, and all this other stuff. I, I guess I never really cared. Like, I like music a lot. Like, I like my uh, the music that I play on the podcast. So I think I just like listening to it. But you guys are actually the ones that listen to it. So anyways, guys, this is Daedalus. You've heard. And enjoy this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. that is just a a consequence of having done that practice or that study and really I think I put it backwards there that you start with a study and then you go into the practice and you're you're right you're correct uh, probably in a couple of years if you don't have answers yourself to these things uh, we could you, you might want to compare notes with me at that time but I think within, as I say, about one and a half to two years, the uh, the circuits of your brain rewire to the point where you can you can look at anything and pretty much to come to a a well judged con- conclusion. What I mean by that is a conclusion that is um, advantageous to you as a person, because you're you're going to get you're going to get input 
from all over the place. I mean, that's part of living. Uh, but you're going to get input from the, from the corporate media. You're going to get input from the so-called alternative media. Uh, people are going to express their, their opinions or you're going to see science, as you pointed out the last time, that just seems to be uh, a publication in the name of science but doesn't really have a consistent <clears throat> excuse me yeah. doesn't really have a consistent uh, uh methodology behind it absolutely i was um something i was kind of thinking about uh cuz i was and cuz i started like after after hearing you talk about the hegelian dialect i started um kind of looking into that as well and i was look well uh, excuse me for interrupting oh, you're but fine. a lot of people <clears throat> i really don't know much about hegel Okay. But I I know what his dialectic is, or or the way he expressed this idea of being on two sides uh, of a situation, and and setting up um, essentially what have come come to be known in in status politics as false flag operations. If you want to get a particular, uh, if you want to get a particular um, segment of the population thinking along a certain line. You set up a problem, uh, and you already have the answer to that problem, but then you go ahead and act out the problem, and then everyone goes into a panic, and fear is one of those uh, basic emotions in which you, you abdicate your any critical thinking that you may have because now you're fearful, so you're ready to take in just about anything uh, as an explanation or as a as a solution for this problem. So those who set up the, the Hegelian dialectic set up the problem, uh, execute it, wait for the, the panic attack, and then they have a preconceived notion as to how to solve it. And that's the way the Hegelian dialectic works. Now, the Hegelian dialectic, as, as Georg Hegel um, explained it was just an explanation given in his words in his time in his contemporary time but try to read hegel i mean it's just <laughs> i i understand that if that if you can speak german uh you can follow what he's saying um but to me it was just a bunch of gibberish but i found that particular um explanation of this idea of being on both sides or having a a thesis, which is a, the, the problem and the action, then the antithesis, or I'm sorry, the thesis is is the uh, the problem. The antithesis is, of course, the other side. the the uh, the pr The problem was set up. the The antithesis is actually going through with this with this uh, action, which is contradictory to the status quo. And then finally, the synthesis is providing the, the preconceived answer. So it's really the, I, I think, problem, reaction, solution was really the English translation of what in German is his thesis, uh, antithesis, and finally, synthesis. Now, he, he made the observation that this is the way the universe works. And I don't know that I, I go along with that. But in politics, um, in, poli in status political situations, when you, as I say, when you want to redirect uh, a population, this this is essentially what you what you set up and what you use. And I really got my <clears throat> my introduction to Hegel 
from um, reading uh, Buckminster Fuller. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah, he was like okay. A, he was like the futurist kind of guy. I know uh, exactly. Exactly. Jack Fresco studied with him for a little bit. The guy from the Venus Project. I've heard yes. Heard him uh-huh. talk about it a long time ago. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Fuller wrote a number of books. The only one he he was a little abstruse in his earlier writings. I can't I can't really follow a lot of his earlier writings, but his last book called uh, Critical Path. Uh, really has a lot of good sources. And I think that was part of, that was one of the books that I provided in that bibliography that I sent to you. And I don't want to overload you with, with uh, sources, but at some point you can look into that book, Critical Path. And particularly, he gives a very simplified in, uh, explanation uh, about political uh, power structures in the third chapter of that book and it's called the third chapter is is titled legally piggly and he has a he starts with a prehistoric um supposition as to how small groups of of people started to look to a to a a leader one who was physically larger and and very um coordinated and and could protect them and and hunt properly or fish, do whatever there their, uh, was necessary to keep keep this group alive, and how it, it just developed from that. And then he goes to this area within that chapter as to what money is, or his, um, his idea of what money is. And he just claims that it's this uh, meme, that uh, over time, a meme is is just a um, a thought that is accepted within a group, and it's accepted subconsciously or implicitly. And uh, Fuller comes forward in time, going through uh, through time, and and uh, explains how how various things have been used as money over over periods of time and the idea of where we came to have interest. And that was when livestock or cows uh, particularly were used as a stand in for value. Of course, we started out with barter like for like. Um, And then we found that there might be a difference in what I can offer you as opposed to what you're offering me. Maybe I have a skill and I provided a, a piece of woven cloth, and you have um, you have uh, a fiber, possibly uh, that you provide to me in its raw form, cotton or something along those lines. And uh, there's a differentiation in the amounts. So, in order to make up for the the perceived difference in value, you have a stand-in. So, uh, it started out with cattle that you would keep a cow or a couple of cows um, until the difference was made up from the other party, the the one that's trading with you. And what would occur often is that cow would calf. It would have a calf. So over time, the, the person who was holding the cow and this calf was born would keep the calf as his own property. And that was called interest. So that became a norm uh, 
in trading societies is that the one who would who would be holding the cow as collateral um, would keep the calf. So there's there's where interest came the, the original idea of interest came into being, and then way down the line, when when cows ceased to be the the uh, medium of exchange, the idea of interest persisted, and then the idea of compound interest was a complete abstraction. You can see how how interest was derived from a from a real event in reality. The cow gave birth to the calf, and the calf was kept uh, as property by by the uh, by the person who was who was holding the differentiation and value. And the whole idea of lending came from that, and then interest, and then compound interest, which is th the idea that you can get um, interest on a regular basis. And this led to the idea of rent. You can start to to rent property that you hold. But finally, he connects all this and comes down to the to the idea of, of the United States being formed from uh, its the 13 colonies separating from its British uh, origins. And that uh, those people who who simply claimed that they were wealthy uh, were the ones who were who were seen as wealthy. And Buckminster Fuller says that this goes on through time, through multiple generations, and that those who, who say that they're wealthy uh, are simply holding a, 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 hand, a poker hand. He uses that as an, as an analogy, that they're just bluffing with that poker hand and nobody calls them on it. Well, the reason nobody calls them on it is because they have um, – they have the courts and and the army or guns behind their claim, but in in the final analysis, uh, this this uh, whole construct of of an item holding the place of value or representing value is is just a social construct. And many, many people uh, through the ages have, have called it that. Um, another person who, who made mention of this uh, about 150, 60 years ago uh, was um, Ralph Waldo Emerson in, in, a, in a pithy little uh, observation that he came up with and he said uh, it said that the world is in a state of bankruptcy now this is in the mid you know 1850s and he said it said that the world is a state is in a state of bankruptcy the world owes more to the world than the world can repay and then as a follow-up to that he said money uh, is a is an is a product of society. It is a social concept, and then um, later on we we call this a meme. Um, after that that term was was uh, coined in the mid nineteen seventies by Richard Dawkins, but he was just really explaining with that term meme m e m e um, something that had been around for for ages. Uh, and it's it's a term, and I 
I really don't know where the um, which language it comes from, but it, you can look it up uh, on the internet. It's called egregore, e g r e g o r e, egregore, and uh, in ancient times it it really meant abstraction, uh, but it was a group mind abstraction that would go through. Um, through time, possibly one person or a group of people came up with this egregore, like a corporation, for example, is an egregore. And whenever you mention that word corporation today, we think in terms of modern corporations, that it's a legal entity given personhood by uh, the laws of a particular land. So this this group of people that that put together this this fictitious entity are now treated like a person. So the laws of a person um, apply to a corporation. But again, um, going back to sources that I've come across, if you're familiar with uh, one of the oldest, if not the oldest, uh, written epic that we know of, the epic of uh, the epic poem. Uh, of King Gilgamesh, which uh, I believe comes from ancient Mesopotamia. But the essence of his story is that he was king, of course, and uh, he was taught by his predecessors and and uh, the period of his time um, how how to uh, protect. And, and how to utilize uh, an area of land and the inhabitants within it. So he essentially uh, evidently was, was said to be a good king. So his, his kingdom was, was operating in what was termed successful, in a successful manner. But he came to be able to have time to reflect that he essentially had everything except a, a person that was his equal, a person that, who realized what he realized. And uh, he, he essentially was the father figure, but he wanted, a, he wanted an equal with whom he could discuss even more abstract and, and supposedly more advanced thought. And he found that in, in a, what is called a natural man, person who did not have a culture and his name in the story was Enkidu and uh, he grew up in the forest and had communication with some type of uh, subtle communication with uh, wild animals and and so on and so forth but he he was he was a sovereign Enkidu was a sovereign much as Gilgamesh was and he learned much from Enkidu after he had enculturated him as they, as it was termed, um, Gilgamesh had one of his best hunters uh, take one of the temple prostitutes uh, to track down Enkidu. And they found him, and Enkidu, uh, for the first time in his life, had sex with a female for seven days. And after that seven-day period of time, he was more apt to accept civilization. And as the story goes on, he starts to lose his, his subtle communication with, with the wild animals and so forth. And is, is taught language and um, 
uh, Enkidu and uh, Gilgamesh get to this point where they they're communicating uh, sovereign to sovereign and learning from one another. And uh, Enkidu expires, uh, comes to an end, and Gilgamesh is now thinking that he's had everything. Uh, the only thing that that he regrets is that he's not immortal, that he can't just keep going. But when he comes to the realization, finally, that he is mortal and he is going to um, come to his end, to his death, he starts to realize through his studies in life that his spirit, essentially, will continue. It'll, it'll continue through his progeny, through, through his administration, the, the king to come. Uh, the policies that that he brought into into being, as well as those that were had already proved to be advantageous, are going to go through time, through through uh, multiple generations, and in his terms, uh, into immortality. So, what he's really describing is a corporation. This this idea, this entity, which will become a legal entity at some point. Um, just continues, and in some fashion, uh, he's he's made his mark on history and in history, and this is his immortality. And if you look at just about anything like that, uh, as I say, that's the group mind think that will continue after his death, and will continue for many generations. And of course, uh, I don't know offhand how old this epic of Gilgamesh is, but it still informs us today. So, the, so if, if this is an allegory, uh, it was somebody's idea that, that wrote this story or communicated this story originally. And it's still coming down to us with all these, um, with all these constructs in, in place, these constructs of culture and civilization, the idea of property and, and uh, everything that that went behind it, uh, the the guarding of property, um, and the idea of of corporation. I mean, if you look, uh, a lot of people try to to compare or or try to make parallels between religion and the state, the political state. But really, they're both in in the final analysis these egregores that are corporations. Their ideas that that bring about actions within their time, and these actions may may evolve over periods of time, but they still continue through time, and they continue uh, in our group mind. So these are the egregores or the memes, and uh, getting back to where money comes from, or or this stand-in for for value, uh, it's it's a meme. It's it's a completely social construct, as uh, as Ralph, Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, put forth. I heard um, I heard a similar a, a similar statement to Emerson's lately. Uh, I don't know who who made it, but someone said, "Okay, so the the world." 
owes all this money, and I think they used a a, a figure. The old the world owes one hundred trillion dollars, so it's essentially in bankruptcy. Well, who does it owe it to? To the planet Jupiter? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I always think that. <laughs> so <laughs> you can see why it's so complex. Why why really many of us can't get our can't get our minds around it. Because try to go out without this construct that is symbolized by a check or, or a note, a bank note or, or gold or whatever we, we accept as money and try to say that it's just a, that it's just an idea. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an idea which has come into reality. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, that really man, you know, man has been called a, the rational animal or the animal that has a, a, a highly developed and devised language, which has its own grammar. It has its own tools for, for communicating itself. And um, if, if you think about this idea of egregore, man is really the – the creature on earth who perpetuates himself through this, through this uh, abstraction that has its own being, has its own uh, life, if you, if you will. And there, there is no other creature that does this. So a lot of times we, we, uh, we're told or we think that we're only slightly more advanced than the than the animals, but this is, and maybe we are, maybe this is just a very small step, but you can see how men over the years, not only came up with the, with the concept of money, but with the concept of godhood, that there's this, um, immortal being that, that's somewhat powerful. Well, the, the, the egregore is like that. And most of us grow up in a, in a particular time and place and we absorb the egregores that are around us. They're given to us by all the people that surround us. And they become very meaningful to us, as I say, in this subconscious fashion. But I've heard it called, uh, it's, it's like being a fish swimming in a, in a bowl of water or swimming in the ocean. Uh, fish are water creatures, but they're not really aware of it because that's just their surroundings. And that's what many of these egregores, not just those of money or, or corporation or religion or political states, which are all egregores, that whose ideas have become tangible. They 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 uh, assert themselves in in uh, money and in uh, legal systems, um, in in states. In religions, and of course, states would include uh, uh, tribal uh, organizations as well. It's, it's just a different type of, of egregore. But it, when you let this idea sink in that man is the, the creature that creates egregores, these abstract constructs that go through, that go through time and manifest in our reality. Um, it's it, it's quite wondrous to contemplate, and of course, many of these things uh, can be seen as as being uh, 
destructive or disadvantageous to man, like some religions, like some states, some political states, like some corporations. But I found that just about everything that, that man creates it has has two sides. You know, it has the light side and the dark side. And it's just the way you cultivate, just the way men cultivate the, these these things um, that that counts as far as being ethical or unethical, what, what is advantageous and what is destructive. Uh, a missile can be used to launch a warhead, a conventional or a nuclear warhead, and and cause tremendous damage. But it can also be used to launch uh, a satellite, which sets up a communicate, you know, a global communication system. Uh, so it's all in the way you use these things. And uh, that's where, again, this idea of critical thinking, or the idea of the trivium has helped me is to determine when, when are these things being used uh, advantageously and disadvantageously um, so, that I can, so that I can decide to participate or not. And one of the things that we're all looking for, of course, is perfection, perfection in life. And perfection to many of us is, is uh, having the entire world think as we do or as my group does. And, and those that are, that are thinking uh, other than that are imperfect. So at some point you have to realize that there, there is no such thing as perfection, but there is advantage, there is satisfaction um, that can be attained. You know, you, you, can, you can have a satisfaction and a productive life. And particularly if, if you're... If your ethics include uh, the idea of plenty, the idea of plenty for everyone, uh, the idea of – well, uh, you know where I'm going with that. Yeah, sorry, Gene. <laughs> hey, Gene, let me interrupt you while you're saying sure. something. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Uh, no, I was just going to say, no, I, I agree. Like the, the idea of abundance versus the idea of – not having a lot, if you're always trying to think of like plentiful for everybody, then you're always going to be looking for ways to, to provide plentiful things. So even if like, let's say we're doing things a certain way with resources and then we we're running out of that resource. Well, when we notice that we can start to look towards a different resource and not, um, not necessarily put all your eggs in that one basket, which, um, I don't think we're necessarily doing and if we are it's 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 kind of too late like i don't think enough people are really getting on board with a lot of different styles of resources but i mean even looking at like like bitcoin coming around giving different options versus like the the standard fiat currency um i think kind of is is i kind of think is is along that path um i don't i don't know if you agree uh well the thing that makes bitcoin a, a reality is this thing called the web, you know, this, this, uh, system of communication that, that's set up, uh, globally. And before that, I don't think you could have this idea of Bitcoin. Um, we were mentioning Daryl Becker, uh, when we started our conversation and he just put me in 
into contact with or uh, uh, let me know about a book that was written, a science fiction book that was written in the early 1970s. Uh, and it's called The Diamond Age. And um, this person actually anticipated, the author actually anticipated the idea of this global network and what would become of money, that money could not be, money could be sent essentially electronically. And, uh, and it couldn't be tracked by states for taxation. And so political states more or less just died on the vine because there were no taxes to support them. And uh, what occurred were people of a, of a like mind would set up in, in these tribal organizations, but they were global. And everyone knew of these various types of, of uh, tribes, like one of the tribes was called the Equity Tribe. And these were the people essentially that, that handled the money at the time and handled the, the, the possession of, of, uh, of goods and services. And then there was another group that, that um, was concentrated on art, um, making things by hand. The, the real gist of this story of this book is that nanotechnology had uh, come into use. And essentially anything could be um, converted so long as it was uh, uh, had had mass. So long as it was material, it could it could be rearranged by these nanobots, these little tiny robots, in into molecular structures that that mimicked anything. It could mimic food, so there was no hunger anyplace, and food was given away uh, free to various tribes. But then there was also natural food and, and the, the, the more affluent tribes would, would tend to uh, want natural food. But when you con contemplate how taxes um, support a state, that again is part of another, mm, I don't know if I want to call it an illusion that, that we're given. Uh, that the state needs money to to exist. For example, um, the auto industry was going pretty well in this country in in the first half of the century, and it was mostly centered. It became centered around Detroit, and by the time the the Great Depression came along and and the Second World War, it was essentially. Uh, focused in Detroit. Well, the industrial capacity, the ability to make uh, mechanical contrivances like an automobile were converted to make military contrivances like bombers and fighter planes and bombs and tanks. And all the people that worked on the assembly line that were being supported by the money through sale of automobiles, were now paid directly by the, by the government. Well, why is it that government always has money, plenty of money, to conduct war? And where does that money come from? Is it borrowed from someone? Uh, again, uh, reference Buckminster Fuller in his Legally Piggly, his, his third chapter 
in in his book uh, Critical Path, and you'll see that it's just this this circuitous route of people claiming this, that, and the other. And finally, it comes back to the as as is mentioned in in the, the book The Diamond Age. It comes back to the equity lords. Who are these people? They're invisible, and I think that's probably their strength is that they're invisible. We see the the figureheads, the people that that like to be on stage, the politicians and so forth. Somebody said that politicians are just unattractive looking actors, and that might be the case. Uh, that's but, funny, uh, and that makes yeah. a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah, it's just showbiz. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's 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 just you're absolutely right. It's it's like the the uh I mean, um Jesse Ventura I think always said it best, it's the the Washington Wrestling Federation. There you go. And it's, what what is wrestling in this country? It's showbiz. It's showbiz, yeah. <laughs> and uh it's 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 that's super interesting. Um what's what's the name of that book that it's called uh The Diamond Age? The Diamond Age and it was uh the author is named Neil Stevenson. It was published in 1995, and um, I'm just in the midst of listening to it be- because of my vocation. I-, I can spend all day listening to audiobooks, but it's you can actually um, get it for free on on YouTube. It's uh, about 18 hours long if you want to listen to it, but it can be you know. It can be bought from any of the regular sources, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. That's awesome. I'm going to have to check that out. I'm being a big well, science fiction I, I'm at a I'm at a stage right now in, in which I thought this guy really hits on a lot of salient points. But one of the points that I was, I was just referring to is, is the idea of, of the industrial age, that we were converting, not, not with nanobots, we didn't have... We don't have that even yet, as far as I know, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. But we set up factories to convert certain types of material into usable objects, things that that completed a task or, or were instrumental in completing a task. And uh, in, in his book, uh, The Diamond Age, toward the, the latter third of the book, they start to mention this – one of the characters starts to mention that human life, uh, uh, the, the actionable portion of human life is dominated by, by two things, by, by the world of things themselves, like what we're talking about, automobiles and, and uh, uh, agricultural production and those things that are, that are useful and usable. To, to our demands as, as we go forward in, in history and entertainment. And so that now that, that everything that material is available to mankind, and this, by the way, takes place in the latter part of the 21st century. So by then we have met all of our material needs, this idea of, of uh, abundance has come to pre- predominate. We no longer have uh, poverty. And we essentially no longer really have uh, political states or uh, money in, in many of its current forms are no longer uh, used 
in a, in a widespread way. So all of men's material needs have been met. And I haven't gotten to the point yet where possibly it mentions anything about the ethical um, cultivation of any of these things. But the only thing left now is entertainment. And this is where man spends his, his whatever money is used, for example, is, is to entertain himself. To Now he's got all this leisure time. How does he entertain himself? And this is where the focus of this society is gone. This world society has gone is to how do you, how do you keep your mind active? And uh, I thought that that was just a, a tremendous way of looking at things because you can see that we're, we're pretty much in the midst of that right now. Entertainment has, has a large part in our lives, and it has for several thousand years. And in one way or another, like I say, politics is, is essentially showbiz. So many of us don't think of it as entertainment, but if you're honest about it, a lot of times uh, the actions of, you know, within politics are entertaining or even in organized religion. A lot of that is, is theatrical. Many, uh, uh, particularly if, if you look at someone else's religion, their religion is very theatrical. Of course, your religion is, is, is not theatrical. It's the truth. This is the, you know, my religion is the absolute truth. But that other religion over there, um, you, you can see the elements of theater. And especially in, in Western culture, we, we look at ancient Greece and almost all the, the plays that were set up at, at that time that were written by the, by the great dramatists and, uh, were, were really parts of, of um, religious festivals, something that leads to our ongoing existence through time, through eternity. But, uh, yeah, uh, there, there are so many things that, that right now I can see that coordinate, for example, Buckminster Fuller is, is uh, his major focus is this idea that there is abundance, that there isn't, um, that there isn't lack of material abundance in the world. Um, I don't know that he stated it within his book, but I, I took away from it that all of our problems are really political. You know, that's what stands in our way. We have, as, as is stated in the Diamond Age, we, we have these little tribes within states. You know, there, there, are, there are tribes that, that own the property, that rent the property out to people. They make their money on rent. There are tribes that, that direct warfare, that use warfare um, to their own advantage, use the Hegelian dialectic. Uh, so all these tribes already exist. Many of them where we don't think of them like that. Uh, there, there's another term that's, that's used in the book. Uh, but he uses that term tribe a lot, uh, to indicate that, that this is something that has gone on for uh, as long as we can see historically and, and into prehistory that there were that there were tribes that were set in geographical locations and therefore uh, shared a, a language of communication and the interests of keeping that tribe alive or surviving and uh, 
the differences in the Diamond Age is these tribes go throughout the world and are recognized and accepted by other tribes uh, because uh, the, the need for competition has gone down because our material needs have been met. That's interesting. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to check it out. I was, I was thinking about when you were when you were talking about like entertainment and um, the Hegelian dialect and all that stuff. I was thinking about like just um, like I feel like the whole creationism evolution debates, mm-hmm. like those. I don't like to me. It's silly, and I don't really see the point in it for like what for either side. I mean, except for. I know, like the last one with Bill Nye and that creationist, it like helped raise the money for the creationists to build their creationist museum. So, um, but I, like, it's it's just to me, it's it's just kind of it's just kind of silly. And then I started thinking about it deeper, and I was um, I was just like, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy, and I kind of looked into it, and I was like, man, he had such a great TV show when I was a kid. But then I like, started looking, and I was like, man, he he just has a bachelor's degree in engineering, like he's not. And that doesn't make him any less of a scientist by any means, but I feel then I started thinking about like just the, I guess like the the dialectic of the sense that you know for a generation like he he resonates with a lot of people because he's like they know him from when they were children and they know him to be like a, a scientific authority, and now he's debating like the creationist people and it's kind of like the. I feel like there's like this 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 battle going on in between like Christianity and atheism as to which one's going to be kind of like the new religion because mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It, and it kind of goes back to like what we talked about last time in the science and how like you know science has, has gotten away from being science and I feel like it all kind of contributes to it and I was and I was just thinking about it like what what is even the point of a debate and I, and and like just the the idea of like because like studying like um logic and studying like uh and and you know listening to I and mean, I got to listen to the uh, Leonard the Leonard Peikoff uh um uh lecture series again um but I, it, it whenever you debate like that in front of a large group of people it's I don't think that you ever really accomplish what you what you really think you're going to accomplish I feel like it's it's more of a it's just more of a, an ego show I I don't know and I don't, I don't know why I'm thinking about this now. I was just thinking about like the idea of, that we need to be entertained, and it's, it's like, but at the same time, it's like it's not only does it, does it, does it um, entertain us, but it helps divide us. If that makes sense. Well, yeah, it does. And and the the name of the game, I suppose, um, referencing Buckminster Fuller again, the name of the game is divide and conquer, and divide and control. So the whole idea is, via the Hegelian dialectic, is is to control that for your tribe, whatever it may be. Like you're you're talking about Bill Nye and and many of these supposedly uh, labeled atheists uh, are are entering ostensibly a debate with creationists. Uh, a lot of that is. <laughs> Entertainment, as as you just said, the idea is to keep this tension going. That's what the Hegelian dialectic is all about: is to keep this controlled tension. And this way, you can you can keep people entertained, and at the same time, 
influence them along the lines that, that you want to influence them. And it depends, as I say, on on how big your the influence of your tribe is. But this this atheist um, religionist or, or creationist debate is promotional. A lot of it is promoting, as you were saying, science has become this this uh, machine for for turning out its literature. And that is why I I saw such value to the way Neil Stevenson broke this out for me. I mean, I had never come to the conclusion that our life, that our human life, especially in our day and age, is is uh, influenced by by two basic areas: the, the the world of things and the world of entertainment. So, yeah, a lot of this that you're you're speaking of, what what is there? What is their motivation? And human and individual motivation is is tough to come by because you're you're not within their that person's skin. But try to put yourself in there. Try try to use some empathy in in either uh, a positive or a negative way, and and see possibly what their motivation is. And this is part of this is part of critical thinking. So at some point. You can just let the debate go by you. You know, you might find that through your your application of critical thinking, you have better things to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, or or not go back and become entertained with this. Yeah, and that was that was something else too. When I was looking at the Bill Nye, I was like, you know, not only was he like, and I'm not trying to. At the same time, like I don't want people to think I'm trying to discredit Bill Nye as like a as a human or anything like. You know, he's a pretty talented human being. Like, he, yeah, the he was in. Uh, he did a lot of. Um, um, what's it called? It's it's not. It's it's kind of like stand up comedy, but uh, it's kind of like ad libbing. Um, uh, can't think of the term. It's uh, Second City is known for. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Um, I know what you mean. The extemporaneous yeah comedy yeah yeah. <laughs> and he was uh, he improv. So he improv, like, had a huge yeah. history of improv. He had a huge history of this. Mm-hmm. And then, like, just this whole look, you know, I mean, anybody who sees him wearing a bow tie, it's like, oh, look at Bill Nye, he's wearing a bow tie, he's so funny, but he's so smart, and it's like, and I feel like it's just that idea of of that was, like, what kind of, like, made me, like, start to use my th- critical thinking and be like, okay, what's what's really going on, or, you know, and um, so, so yeah, I, I, I agree, like, I, I feel like with with critical thinking and with, like, self-confidence, it's like, you you, you realize... This is just a waste of time for me. Like, you know, I mean, it's fine if that's what wants to entertain you, but it's kind of like the same thing with sports. Um, and I and I heard, um, actually heard like Joe Rogan and Duncan Trussell kind of break it down. Like everybody gets so emotional about the men who wear spandex and mesh and all they do is play the simulation of war and then everybody gets mad at the man dressed like a zebra. <laughs> and, and it's like, man, when it's put in that fashion, it's like, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I don't like, I really am not as interested as I used to be in sports. And then, uh, what was funny was when I was, um, like baseball for some reason, more recently I started getting interested in, uh, probably within the past five years. And, uh, then I heard your, like, I was listening to you on the, the school sucks podcast, which was a great series, by the way, that you and Brett did, um, and like your explanation that your uncle told you about baseball, 
And uh-huh. I was like, man, that, that makes sense as to why I like baseball. Like when I think about it that way, because it isn't a simulation of war. It's, it's, it's a totally different game. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, it is interesting. Like, I think like more recently, um, I've been reading a lot of blogs recently, like of, uh, different, just different people. Like I, I started, like I kind of stumbled on zero hedge. I don't know if you've ever checked out zero hedge. No, I haven't. Uh-uh. Um, but on there, there's this guy, um, he has like the of two minds and he's always talking about like local resiliency and it's like, you know, establishing your own local community and like the he kind of like laid out he had this PDF that one of his um one of his uh someone one of his readers sent him and it was basically like the three stages like there's like the emergency there's the uh midterm and long term and it, and it, it kind of like made me think like if I ever do because I really do think I want to you know eventually find uh fellow people like myself to go you know kind of like let's go buy a bunch of land and let's kind of create our own little our own little private community. Um, and and it, it's like stuff that I'm going to think about, okay, how would I store food? How would I do this? And how would I do that? And, 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 and it's like removing yourself from that centralized controlled food, centralized controlled money, centralized controlled everything. And like getting back to, okay, let's, let's just focus on us. Let's focus on ourselves and our community. And I, th- I think that it kind of all contributes. And I think like, but that's also what's interesting about that book, the age of diamonds, is in is in a sense what I really want to do is create a tribe with fellow friends or fellow like minded individuals. And it's and it's like okay, well so and it's kinda like it kind of is the evolution of of what's going on right now with humongous centralized governments, humongous, you know, centralized corporations. You know, we live in this humongous corporate oligarchy and and it, it, no, people don't want to be a part of it anymore. But they just don't mm-hmm. know how to get out of it, and they don't know how to to take the proper steps to to, in a sense, become a sovereign man, or to become like to become like just kind of like just to kind of remove themselves from from that from that part of the culture that kind of sucks you in into the the entertainment part, or to to or the divide in uh, the divide and confusion, just like what you were saying. Divide and conquer, divide and control. Yeah, divide and control. Well, that's it. Um, you you can choose to be in the, the whole idea behind critical thinking is so that you make good choices. We're, as I say, we're born into this time and place, and we have to come to the idea as as to what are the various factors in the world and which ones do we want to participate in, and which do we not. And like you say, there there's a period of time in your life when you're interested in sports, which which is an egregore. It's it's a group mind uh game set up mostly for for developing war skills. And and it also gives you the the additional meme that there there's two sides and you're gonna take one side or the other. And uh if if there's justice any place or or a figure of justice as you said the people in dresses zebras uh oftentimes that teaches you if you use it in in the proper uh way that you don't accept the the fallacy from authority that authorities are not guarantees of truth or justice 
or whatever they represent themselves to be, that you must use your own investigative methods to validate what authorities say. And that's not to say that authorities um, are not positive within their context, within their time and place. But you come to that determination yourself and make your own personal choice. And as you say, at some point, you may want to move on or you may not want to be part of that entertainment milieu. You, you want to go someplace else. And now you have uh, vistas that are opening up to you because you've eliminated these these others. These are now contradicting uh, your values previously. You're building other values. And to me, that's what life is. It's, it's growing through these things, investigating them, deciding for yourself what what is is valuable to you as a person. And then, as you say, finding other people uh, that, that share your values or from whom you can learn. Yeah. You know, that, that have the values that, that you can, that you can cultivate and learn along with. And that's what the, the, the book is, is called the diamond age, not the age of diamonds. Should you care to look it up? Yeah. The diamond age. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's all right. I, I just thought you might run into, into a problem trying to track it down. Yeah. Um, but, after a while, as I say, you just you just start to see these uh, common threads running through so many things. And if you're if you're an ethical person, if you if you don't wish harm to others, uh, then you you can pursue your own values even within the the situations that we that we find ourselves in even within the, these uh, negative aspects of our own character that other people have, have cultivated on their own, you know, to be essentially destructive and so forth. But uh, it would seem that the more that people have their basic needs filled, their, their, their food, their clothing, uh, protection against the elements or, or the ability to, to go into different elements around the globe, in, into extreme cold or, or tropical situations or, or uh, navigate the oceans and so forth and, and the air for that matter, uh, to fly through the air, to transport ourselves. Once these things are, are filled to a certain degree, then we start to, to – I think become less aggressive toward toward others, uh, less having this need for win lose, and I think that's one of the reasons that you're starting to become uh, you're starting to evolve away from the the staged war of of sports is that you no longer need that win lose situation to to bring meaning to your life. You're now looking for win-win. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think you're you're dead on. I think um, I think I, yeah. I mean, I, I would say so. I think it's uh, you know you there's I don't know. It's it's a lot more fun when everybody wins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's uh, you know it's just it's just like it's it's easier to be happy. Like everybody's happy. 
and it's and that's like a good thing like people can it's easier to communicate when people are happy it's easier to it's just easier to enjoy your life like you don't i mean like um i thought it was interesting that like last week like being from ohio like cleveland's whole economy was based on lebron james he leaves and now he comes back and that's all everybody wanted to talk about and i'm just like well i mean that's that's great guys but um there's a huge chance that this ty- that this tsunami could crush Fukushima again. Like, I think we, we might want to kind of pay attention to this. Like, I feel like this is important because this is like an actual loss for humans. But at, at the same yeah. time, yeah. at the same time, I mean, like, you know, it, I, like LeBron coming back. I mean, to, to, to go back on entertainment, like LeBron coming back to Cleveland is projecting to just create a ton of jobs in Cleveland and really help out that economy. And it's like, uh, it really is a crazy thing how much our economy is based on entertainment or even, um, even movies, like how much, like it's, it's like the, even in between the, the Republicans and the Democrats, like I feel like the Republicans are, are people that have made a lot of money through business and, and corporations. And a lot of times the, the figureheads of the Democrats are people that have made a lot of money through entertainment. And it, it, it's kind of like the interesting aspect of, you know, oh, no, it's this way. No, it's this way. And it's like, you know, I don't understand why people feel the need to to just, <laughs> like, you need to think the way I think. And it's it's just like, no, they, they don't. Like, they can they can think differently than you, and you can learn from each other. Like, you're mm-hmm. different people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's, you know, somebody said to me a long time ago, like, back to, like, the whole debate thing, like, never argue with a fool because an innocent bystander can't tell the difference. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. and I always like, I always keep that in my head because it's like, because like, I'll even like, even on like Facebook or something like that, like somebody, like I'll post an article and people like attack me for it. And, uh, recently it was about, uh, Israel and like the people saying like death to all Arabs. And I was just like, you know, this is messed up. Like you should never think that. And it's, and then people started like changing, like, pretty much using logical fallacies against me and then i i don't know I, at, at that time i was like, like you know what i'm just gonna try to make you mad because it's entertaining for me and it's like it's interesting because it kind of always goes back to like this entertainment thing like now that i'm thinking about it um well yeah you're not having to chase down your food you know two three times a day so you can spend your time this what, what you're describing is your leisure time yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and but at the same time, like I should use more of my – I feel like I should use more of my leisure time to educate myself or do things. But at the same – but even then, it's, I think it goes back to you know meditation and balance. Like that's something you learn from meditation, or at least I have, is just to, to try to stay balanced and to try to, to keep myself at an even keel. Um, but um, anyways, Gene, we're actually right about uh, – we're right about an hour – Okay. Um, we can uh, we can wrap it up and talk a little bit more afterward if 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 you're down with that. Yeah, that's fine with me. Um, thank you so much for coming on again, Gene. Um, I really appreciate it. I I think uh, our conversations have, and then going back and listening to them have really, I don't, I, it's just kind of helped me. I think it it's helped kind of, I guess in a way, validate my um, I guess my path, but at the same time, it's it's helped me kind of like put a lot of things in perspective in my life. And, um, 
and uh, just just the ideas that we've discussed and everything else like that. And I, and I appreciate your time and and uh, I've really enjoyed. And I and I want to give some plugs to some other podcasts you've you've been on. So other if they want to hear more interviews with you, I thought um, the series you did with Unplugged Mom. Um, that was really good. I, I, I want to reach out to Lynette and probably get her on as a guest, but she, she that's a great podcast. And um, Brett's uh, um, School Sucks podcast, that was an awesome series uh, the two of you guys did together. Um, so if people want to check out a more, um, I guess, educational breakdown of the Trivium Method and just, just the conversations you guys had, that was awesome. And then... Uh, Two you did with uh, choice conversations. Um, like well, first it was two beers with Steve, and then it turned into choice conversations. Um, those were two really good episodes as well. And obviously, uh, Jan Irvin's episodes you've done have, have been phenomenal as well. So um, I guess figured I'd, I'd plug that and, and just say thanks again, Gene. Well, it's been my pleasure. I'm I'm glad that that some people have have found value in there. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun uh, speaking with you, Drew. Appreciate that, Gene. That yeah, we'll do it again in a couple of years. That sounds good to me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, guys, thanks for tuning in. And uh, and uh, looking forward to uh, sending you guys some more episodes soon. So some things I forgot to mention in the intro. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Drew Sample. You can also follow um, at the Sample Hour, at the Terrible Cast. Follow at Trip Berg. He's the host of the last episode that I put on here before this episode, The House of Fuckery. Um, follow at Sneaker Savage 23 or go to www.sneakersavage.com. Get some big man sizes and Jordans and Nikes and all that fun stuff. Um, and go to www.facebook.com forward slash the sample hour. Like us on Facebook. And last but not least, go to GoFundMe. And search for Izzy Rock and donate some money to Izzy Rock. My man Izzy Rock is is like a huge inspiration for a lot of people who, um, yeah, I mean who who started who have started podcasts, especially like originally kind of in like the Death Squad community, and now that we've like in the Inspired Disorder Collective community, which is really what I should say. So, um, in the Inspired Disorder Collective community, and then kind of like for me, like now I'm branching out, and I hope like. I've kind of helped people hopefully start a podcast or something. Somebody listened to me and they're like, well, that guy can do it, so I can do it. So anyways, guys, I appreciate you listening. Um, anybody that gives me shout-outs, big shout-out to my friend Silly Sybin on Twitter. Follow her. Her handle is at Beagle and Pup. She's a pretty cool chick. She's from Akron, Desquad, Ohio person. Pretty, uh, pretty much cool we're all pretty cool what can i say anyways uh thank you guys um for listening again and this is daedalus fairweather friends Same things on our minds as you boys do.